mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling driven by passion. I feel like a knowledge seeker and Ooh. I feel like a very eager and inquiring mind. And today's guest has made me feel all these things because she <laughs> shares your passion, my passion, all of our passion for art and and has been somebody that I've looked to very often over the last few years because she has her own podcast, which is called The Great Women Artists. And um, it's become incredibly successful globally. And some of my favorite episodes of her podcast are the ones where she puts her art historian cap on and goes deep into the history of art. And now we are lucky because as art fans, she has spent the last few years making the most extraordinary book and it this is. book is going to change the world and it's something that's actually been super 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 missing and if this had been around when I was growing up it would have just been like the bible to me because in my teens I discovered a book by Hayden Harara about the life of Frida Kahlo and Hayden Harara is similar to our guest today an art historian who shone light onto stories of art and the life of artists that were deeply sorely missing and I read that book and it literally changed my life. And I feel like today's guest, their book is going to do the same thing for a whole new generation, as well as older people like us. Now we're in our 40s, Russ. We're like OAPs. You're older. And <laughs> I am older, actually. I'm a year older. But so it means a lot to us too. But I, the thing that I think is so important, and I read in a review the other day, was that this has to be on the syllabus. This has to be in schools, because this book is called The Story of Art, which might sound similar, because you might remember that there was obviously the book, The Story of Art, written by E. H. Gombrich, published in 1950, that was always held up, even in the time I was at school, as being like the go-to for if you wanted to know about art, the history the Bible, of art, the Bible, the Bible, art. kind of, yeah. And that's why the word, the story, was so important. But I remember at the time being like, "Where are all the women?" Like, you know, there was maybe like one woman in the whole of the like different foreign language editions. But I think, as far as I know, the English edition and the French edition didn't mention any women. So it was just like 100% male artists. And I always remember being like, "Where are all the women?" Which is kind of how 
I seeked out myself the Frida Kahlo story, which led to so many other artists. And then when I entered the art world, Valeria Napoleone was a collector who was only collecting women artists. Mm. And it kind of inspired me. So my early collection was mainly women artists. And Same. Tracy Emin, when we met her, I remember her talking about the injustice and the inequality within prices of women's art. Um, so this book is called The Story of Art Without Men. And it fills in all the gaps over five very important chapters. So I cannot wait to explore this book. And um, all of you, please pre-order it now, buy it now, if it's already out when this episode comes out. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, our dear friend and art historian, Katie, Katie Hessel. Hi, oh Katie. Thank you so much, guys. I was just sort of <laughs> bursting with energy. I know we're recording this online, but it feels like the kind of internet is going to break because of this. <laughs> it is. It's like a Beyonce moment. It's like we're going to so break exciting. the internet. Yeah, we're, we're going to break the internet, the right internet with this podcast episode. <laughs> well, what, what Rob said in the intro is that we do all share this affinity for art, which is virgin on the obsessive. Which <laughs> I think that I I look at art all day long and. Yeah. I know that you do, Katie, and you're always kind of seeking out. And, and I think this comes from, I want to go back to 2015 when you started your Instagram feed, The Great Women Artists, which now has nearly 300,000 followers. But this is something that you did daily, which again is Virgin on the Obsessive. Can you talk about what that was and why you started that? I mean, it's such a funny thing, isn't it? This obsession with art. And I've I've spoken to other people about it. And I'm like, yeah, well, how else are you supposed to fill your time? Obviously, you're just going to go to all the exhibitions in the world. <laughs> and I do get that it like might be slightly extreme. <laughs> yeah, let's just release hundreds of episodes of podcasts. But it's like, there are so many stories to constantly uncover. Like, just it, it's there's so much richness that you can just carry and carry on carry on going on that's why i love listening to your you guys so much and this is obviously slightly surreal as well it's just such an honor so thank you so much um, but but 2015 yes yeah, so i just finished university i studied art history at ucl which i did love but i didn't actually study that many women artists and i had been studying the at the artist alice neal uh, who was one of my favorites for anyone who doesn't know her she was an incredible uh, artist working in portraiture in the 20th century and she was kind of based in New York and she was you know, based in um, Harlem but also the Upper West Side and so she was sort of totally at the forefront of everything but always kind of shut out in a way by the institutions and actually it's only you know what's really sad is that she had to wait until she was 72 to have any sort of recognition and then what's amazing is that she lived until she was 84 and then those last what I guess like 12 years of her life she went on like the Johnny Carson show and just like absolutely lived it up <laughs> like there's all these like amazing videos of her and like a sort of glittery dress and handbag on talk shows and it's like yes completely reap in all of this like you completely deserve it well you see but, i just want to jump in there because you see that with a lot of female artists that have been working all their lives and then they get discovered later in life we look at people like rose wiley but carmen herrera especially and you're talking about how alice neil lived for much longer so she could enjoy her success well carmen herrera died when she was 106 i think <laughs> oh, and she got discovered in her 80s and she was like i'm sticking around and she was working every day i think up until like the last six months of her life and it's kind of it's an amazing story, but it's also kind of, there is some tragedy in there as well and trauma at the fact that that is has been the situation for so many women artists. Totally. And, you know, I think it's, you know, we're all trying to right this wrong as well and give people of any gender the equal, you know, space and, and platform that they deserve completely. But I know it's just it, it's a sort of tale as old as time. And what's 
you know, incredible is when I look back at all these artworks I put in my book or something, they all feel so contemporary and so relevant. I mean, you know, an artwork made 400 years ago, I feel like it just speaks to now in such a rich and exciting way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so annoying that that happened. And I think maybe it's because of who's been the gatekeeper of art history for so long and who's run the museums and actually who's guarded that for so long and who's got to tell those stories and what's amazing about you know what maybe we're doing I don't know but it's the fact that you know you can just make a podcast and you can put something out into the ether and you can say yeah I want to spotlight this artist but I also want to spotlight this art historian because it's really valuable to also spotlight the spotlight the people who have also been working for so many years and just appreciate uh, their dedication I mean I'm standing on the shoulders of countless um people of all different genders who have paved the way i mean it's it's amazing and when you kind of uncover those stories you just want to discover more because they feel like you know we could be friends with them or something they have such grit and energy and determination and probably obsession as well so that and was also, the podcast though sorry you i, I, I took you off on a tangent sorry, to yes. about Carmen Herrera, but yes how did you get onto the instagram feed right when women artists so what happened was I was studying Alice Neal graduated um, from art history and in early October 2015 people might be able to guess it I went to an art fair and I was 21 at the time and I looked around and I realized that out of the thousands of artworks in this tent in front of me not a single one was by a woman and I suddenly had this epiphany where I was like wait, hang on a second. How have I never even noticed this before? Like how have I like I felt foolish. I felt like an idiot to not have been like can I even name 10 women artists at the top of my head any pre-1850 at all? I mean, who were they? It wasn't actually until I wrote an article on Renaissance and Baroque female artists that I then went out and, and you know, sought out who these women were. Um, but honestly, I write this in the book, but I honestly couldn't sleep. I was living with my parents at the time. And, you know, I just, I typed the words women artists into Instagram. And this was when Instagram was also, you know, people put, put pictures of their dogs and or their breakfast, which, you know, Oh, great love that still that's my main feed yeah <laughs> i've also been posting my kittens non-stop in the last oh week god. it's only been 10 days and they've already got their own account <laughs> oh my god i'm not even following it that's a tragedy i'll follow it as soon as this episode's over i'm not following either actually so <laughs> i really started and i'm not going to it's um, at window and no, for everyone who wants to follow my kittens oh, willie and dory non-binary yeah have you met them katie did you know but i was with Mar- i was no, i was almost. in margate on monday and you yeah. were telling me about them <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay sorry I'm getting to the question anyway I, I typed the words women artists into Instagram and nothing appeared so I just started this account and I said to myself you know why not just try it every single day and it's still for me I mean it's amazing that so many people follow it but it's a real way to put my knowledge to good use and I think you know I was also someone who really struggled in terms of academic work and always found art history and art a bit inaccessible and elitist I'd go to exhibitions and I'd read the press release at you know a posh contemporary commercial gallery in London and be like I'm sorry but I don't understand what this sentence means Mm -hmm. like am I the only person here Mm -hmm. and like I've got a degree in art history and all these things and so I just thought maybe I'd just start writing in a kind of conversational way and I've never really stopped and it's just a joy to do and it's sort of built an amazing community just like you have done and it's it's just a joy. I can't you did it daily it. though, didn't you? Yeah, I still kind of I still do it most days. Wow. I sometimes have like a day off because <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, you're very busy now. But I but I like you know I write it on the bus or you know or in bed mm. or you know it's 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 just something that's part of my daily feed and actually it's quite sweet I'm actually looking at them right now but the other day I was writing a a text and I found all these art diaries that I used to write as a kid as a teenager and actually it's completely what I did then in my notebooks to what I do now it's just on a sort of scale that anyone can access it have you had 
an amazing response from like young women knowing like you putting this knowledge out into the world has that been a real kind of in- inspiring position to be in I mean it's just a dream you know you know if, if if something that you do can touch one person then then you've done the then you've done your job and what I think is amazing is the fact that you know when I do do talks or whatever it's it's actually people of all different ages like I love to you know I did this my first signing last week and all these amazing people who are you know 17 and they brought their mum or their gran or whatever and and actually I love like talking to like oh, yeah. 90 year olds about it you've and- got a fan base so you, you we were hanging out recently in New York and you've started doing these incredible curations and we can get onto it later on but you had a curation at Casmin Gallery here and you have these fanatic you have these fans you have these girls that turn up and they are like (laughs) obsessed with you and your sisters were with you and they were like everywhere we go we have Katie has all these people turn up and they want pictures with her and it's very glamorous I know we were calling you Russell Hessel for the week (laughs) (laughs) Russell Hessel I was I was I was part of your entourage I was like oh god I'm a Hesseler yeah (laughs) I'm a Hessler baby yeah no it was um it was, yeah, it was, it's incredible to watch and you've sort of grown that yourself really organically and it, it's, it's been amazing. Some people come up to you and give you female artists. It makes you think, we interviewed Sonia Boyce recently and she's, she has this practice that she's been going on where she's been looking for black female artists and that are kind of overlooked or unheard of or, or the big ones, but then trying to find out these kind of moments of pop culture that have been yeah, like missing. Mu- musical artists. Yes. And yeah. people will come up to her and give her names. And we did ourselves in the interview and she, she adds them to this kind of uh, archive that she's been building for years. Do you have people come up to you and offer female artists that you may have not even known existed? Because you're, you're really kind of going the deeper epidermis <laughs> of art history now. Yeah, the obsession <laughs> just... But, but again, you still turn over a rock and you uncover a whole new movement that has been completely missing from art history. Do you, do you get people offering up the opportunity for discovery? Yeah, and I completely welcome it. And I want to hear what people are up to. And it's so nice of people to be invested. And I think what's so what's so nice about, you know, these people coming up to me or whatever is the fact that it's not about me. It's about like the subject and people are just so excited. And it's just wonderful to share like our celebration and obsession with art history because it's, you know, it's a kind of niche, not niche subject, but I, but I also, what you guys have done so incredibly well is also bring this subject to the mainstream because I think so many people think, oh, art's not for me. Art's not for me. Art is for everyone it's it's a picture like that's also how I came to it because I struggled with reading so pictures for me were a way to like tell a story and and it like I would go I mean luckily I I had the privilege of um I was lucky enough to grow up in London and I just like kind of go to Tate or Tate Modern where the turbine hall had just opened and I had no idea what I was looking at my parents had no idea what we were looking at but we just kind of sat there and just I still remember those experience and it's about that visceral reaction to something because art can get you in the gut and tell you something about yourself that you had no idea and I think that's what or like tell you about a story or something I remember growing up myself, like I was, I think my own curiosity for art and music and different creative outputs were, was often the lack of information around it. Like you had to really hunt for information, particularly before the internet. But then when the internet arrived, it was even more exciting, especially as like a record nerd where you could like find, you know, seven inch vinyls, 12 inch vinyls from different countries, almost like collecting stamps. I used to be really interested in finding all these obscure pressings of different records and things, but then it led to art. So when I I look at your book now it's like 
it just feels like an injustice this hasn't been here sooner for everybody because there was such a lack of information for so long. Like, what was it like beginning it? Was it, was it quite overwhelming thinking, putting, you know, responding to the Gombrich book in a sense, the story of art? Was that, was that an early sort of um, drive for the book? Yeah, I mean, you know, I also, when I did Art History A-Level, I read Gombrich's Story of Art and I loved it. And what yeah. I love about Gombrich is also the fact that he is so readable. And actually you can read a chapter and be like, oh, that's what the Renaissance was. Oh, that's yes. what Baroque means. And actually I felt like this is also why I did this book is because I also want it. And like, basically this book is not like a sort of A to Z of women artists. It's very much the story. And it's like, okay, well, what? why did abstract expressionism come about? Because it was post-war America. All these people were fleeing from Europe and it was this time where you had to almost how do you even comprehend something like the second world war you turn to abstraction and and like the sort of how it's rooted in this social and political context and then mm-hmm. the stories that come with these and the people just their their urgency to paint and their desire this rawness in it is just incredible yeah totally so you said this is a quote of yours is my goal is to readdress the gender imbalance in the art world by reasserting women back into the canon of history which i think summarizes the whole book which as as rob was saying it is an incredible it's a masterpiece basically katie and how did that <laughs> come about so we've we've gone from we've gone from the instagram I'm gonna quote feed. You on that. <laughs> it's a masterpiece <laughs> it's a masterpiece basically russell that's Toby. gonna be on the next edition <laughs> <laughs> but it won't, it'll be russell hessel remember oh, oh my god yeah. yes russell the hessel russell, russell it's, it's, hessel it's, it's a masterpiece, nepotism <laughs> russell the brother hessel. i always wanted <laughs> <laughs> All the S's. That's, that's, that's that. um, so you went from the uh, Instagram feed, then you went to the podcast. Now, the podcast is, again, a success. You are Midas. Uh, I don't know who the female Midas is, but I want to find the woman Midas, uh, Midasa, um, with whatever you're doing. And the, the podcast has been a huge success as well. So what was it like starting that and you know building from the po- the Instagram onto the podcast well I think a podcast just brings something to life so much and you just get this insight into someone's world I mean when I listen to you guys I'm just like my, my life my day is transformed because I've basically got to know someone in such an intimate way and also audio is so special because I find that I don't know I'm totally obviously addicted to Instagram and and actually podcasts or audible audio books is when I actually don't look at my phone and I can completely tune in and it's so powerful but I mean you know I was just sort of spending my entire days well I've always had like a full-time job basically up until a few months ago and um and I used to sort of get up really early and do these studio visits or on the weekends or something and the thing is, is I was having all these amazing conversations with people and stories about their lives. And I think that's also what I wanted to do is get to the crux of people's lives. And actually, it was Olivia Lang who really taught me that. I read The Lonely City and I was suddenly like, oh, like Warhol, like that, that explains so much. David Aranovich, like that, that explains so much of what he did. Like I want to, you know, I, I know what's quite funny is I speak to kind of old art historians. And they're like, oh, my God, it was completely, you know, just you absolutely should not ever uh that they were they were taught never to bring in any biographical information but actually it humanizes artists it it gives them a sense of like personality and which for me helps me understand them more so i think it's really exciting i think and- it must be sorry i think it must be a modern phenomenon with that that this kind of media training that artists sort of need to have now back in the day it was the work spoke for itself back in the day in Hollywood the actors you'd see them on screen and that would be the only information you had there wasn't any of this kind of broadsheet gossip columns there wasn't heat magazine there wasn't Instagram following people around Loved heat. but but now it's like they, they they artists do have to make their work but they also have to be able to be articulate 
and have the clarity to understand their every move, which, you know, for some emerging artists is kind of tricky because, you you know, the art is there because the words aren't enough. So that's why you're making the art. And then suddenly it's like, okay, words aren't enough, make the art, but then find the words to talk about the art that you've made because words aren't enough. It's really a tricky situation. And I can understand why back in the day people wanted to keep this allure. They wanted to keep this kind of pedestal position where it had a godlike quality because our artists always have had Michelangelo, Raphael, pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. They've had this godlike energy. And now maybe some people will think we're kind of breaking that down because we're like, well, what did you have for breakfast? And when was the last time you went to the toilet? It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on a minute. You're really just dusting off the sheen here. I just, I just love the idea of like Michelangelo being on a podcast or something. But, but also I, like, I would love that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's slightly contradictory, right? Because I actually feel quite bad and I'm like, please, can I interview? It's incredible. Like, I, But also I want to hear the stories. Like when you interview these people who are around in the 70s and the 80s or the 90s, yes. you're just like, what was it like? Like to be in New York at that time what was it like to be in London but at the same time like just creating this incredible archive of artists voices and I, I'm you know like you my whole thing is to be accessible to everyone and I genuinely think that you could read this book or you could listen to my podcast like with you with your book and podcast and actually never have stepped into a museum in your whole life but you know maybe you've come to something from a song like you said uh, Rob you know this idea that you can look at records and then you can discover that you know like Tracy Evan always talks about um David Bowie and him looking at Egan Sheet like that is just like that the power of that is it's just like incomprehensible so we've got the Instagram feed we've got the podcast <laughs> yes. uh your day job you were working at Victoria Miro Gallery for, and then was that after you did your degree, you then get a job at the gallery space? So I actually started working at Victoria Miro when I was 18 as like front of house. So I was at UCL. So I basically worked there like every single Saturday and like occasionally help out with like events and things. And so I I left and it had been 10 years. And so I completely grew up there. I mean, I, I love the gallery and actually they're very kindly giving me the space to put on an exhibition of the last chapter of the book which is, and I don't even work there anymore. It's very nice. <laughs> was, um, was, was it Alice Neal that led you to the gallery? No. Ah, oh, because don't, don't they represent the estate? Yeah, but I, I found out about Alice Neal through the gallery. I oh, mean, I see. Yeah. Okay. But I just, I just think when you look at the roster of Victoria Miro's, it's just, it's just all my favourite artists. I mean, yeah. I just think it's, it, it, you know, I feel at home with those artists. And as a and result, now you're there sort of... curating a show yourself. You've gone from like helping on the front desk. I mean, it's a story. Anyone can dream. No, but it's true. And it I just true. really, I've always said, like Russell says it too, like passion is the most important thing. And if you, you know, you can do anything you want in life if you focus and are passionate about it. I, I know people have different um, factors that can hold them back or make it harder or, or take, can take longer, especially if you've had like, I don't know, emotional issues or issues to do with education or all kinds of things. People have different struggles. But at the end of the day, you just, I think the hardest thing is often to find your passion. When you were growing up, we talked about your sisters earlier. Did you have that curiosity from quite a young age? And um, did how did your siblings like feel about it? And what do they think now of it all? <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I'm very, very close to my family. So I'm youngest of four kids. I've got two sisters and a brother and actually live with one of my sisters. And um, we're, we're all really close and it's really nice. I mean, Russell, you were sort of sandwiched between me and my other sister in a taxi. Yeah, I, was a I was a Hessel sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
I mean, my parents aren't anything to do with the art world or anything or arts background, but they would just, you know, I, I was born in the 90s and it was a really exciting time in London. And so we'd go to the Turbine Hall on a Saturday. And I really remember like seeing the spider. I remember seeing Anish Kapoor's, like, I don't even know what it was. It's like red gramophone, it looked like. It's like a giant red leather installation. And it just completely just sparked so much curiosity. But I was always kind of, always, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me, God. But I was always kind of, I'd, excited maybe about the future I'd sort of wrote to the editor of Vogue asking for her job or I wrote to Ken Livingston asking like designing the star building <laughs> in London being like but like you people <laughs> that's so embarrassing that's I can't not believe embarrassing. I How embarrassing. But, but people always wrote back which was amazing and so mm. my whole thing is always like just write to people just write to, they don't have to reply but when they do they instill a sense of agency I used to have like the editor of Vogue's yes. like letter like framed on my like Ken Livingston's letter like framed on my um bedroom wall because I just thought oh my god like this could be possible and I don't think he's going to commission a star building anytime soon because it would be very um sort of uh just ridiculous um But you're right. It does give you agency. That's yeah. a really fascinating way of looking at it. I met I met Chuck Jones, who was an animator who who's died now, but he did all Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny back in the day. And they were opening when I was eight. We were walking down Regent Street, and they had opened the Warner Brothers store. And I was walking along with my mum, and I saw it. It's in 1994. Was I eight? Maybe I was a bit older. And I walked past and he was outside and there was a crowd and I went, mum, that's Chuck Jones. No idea how I knew. I just knew. And I went up to him and we talked and he was, and I was like, will you sign and give me an autograph? And he signed it and he said, here, take this card. And he had his business card and he said, if you write to me there, I'll give you a drawing. So I wrote him a letter and then I got a drawing back of Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny saying to Russell Love Chuck Jones, 1994. And that was still at my parents' house on, on my old bedroom wall. And that at the time, I think, you're right, gave me, you just sparked that back, gave me that agency to go like, oh, I can communicate with the world. I can communicate intergenerationally beyond me with this man who lives in like California somewhere. That That is an incredibly um, inspiring thing for a kid to do. And for you to have that wherewithal to write to all these people <laughs> just shows the tenacity that you've carried through to where you are now and, and you're building an empire, a Hessel empire of culture. <laughs> But also, if you think about the artists you've met, Katie, some of them have even made portraits of you, which is just like, how cool is that? Well, like, there's one behind her now. Know, yeah. Like, can you speak one. a bit about that? That whole, yeah, the Chantal story. But, yeah. but, it's, but it's amazing because it's also like, why not just like make your job about meeting your heroes, right? Because yes. you've always wanted to have the, I've always had questions for Marina Abramovich or Tracy Emin or Chantal Joffe or, or whoever. And it's just, it's so exciting to be able to ask them the questions that you want to ask them and also you know when when you meeting heroes of yours they these people become real I remember when I was like 21 I was um I was uh, waiting for a flight to go to New York with my sister because we always go to New York together as Russell knows um and I was sitting I was sitting down um waiting for the flight and I saw Frances Morris who's the director of Tate Modern walk in and, and sort of you know, go first because it looked like she was in first class but she wasn't and I was like oh my goodness oh my goodness and my sister was like who is it who is it and I was like it's Frances Morris and my sister was like who is that I know that happens all the time I get so excited I get starstruck about artists more than I do actors or singers or anything and then everyone's like who 
It's not really like, obscure. <laughs> and the whole flight, she was in economy as well. And I was like, do I go up to her? And my sister was like, no, do not go up to her. She's trying to have her flight. Katie, just calm down. <laughs> and then I finally went up to her at customs. and was just like, I just have to say I'm a really big fan of yours. And she thought I was telling her off for like using her phone or something. Um, <laughs> but but it's like, one of the, and then like a year later, she came on my podcast and spoke about Agnes Martin. So it's like, you know, it's Does so- she remember meeting you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Mm. Um, and like it's same with like Ez Devlin I just saw her at Photo London once and just went up to her and it's just so worth going up to people who you admire and just saying and just also saying something personal because if you really admire someone you're going to have something that is going to resonate with you but also resonate with them mm. so you're not just saying oh I love your work you're saying oh you know that building that you made or that exhibition that you created yes. it really actually shaped something in me Absolutely. and how does that lead to like Chantal Joff actually like painting you like oh I just God. I think it's the most beautiful painting but hasn't she done like two of you or is it just she's one? done five. Oh, five. that's <laughs> what I thought there were quite a few so I've she's obsessive as well yeah. yes. everyone's obsessed with you Katie but, uh, tell us that story because I, I think that's such beautiful painting so they are and and you know Chantal again I mean I was with Antonia Sharing last night and she was talking because and um, Chantal's just painted her as well we were sort of like just gushing we can't believe our heroes painted us and um and it was she, you know, she's an artist at Victoria Mirror. And I also I think when you work at a gallery, you know, these artists that you have to work for, I mean, they're, you know, they feel quite, you know, you're you're the person behind the desk and you have to be really professional. But actually they want to interact with you if you're keen. And so I think I just started talking to Chantal and then we just got on really well. And I remember the first painting that she did of me. It's it's amazing because it was like, I don't know, it must have been about three or four years ago now and I'm standing up and it, I look so excited but it's almost like I'm too excited it's like it's it's not flat it's just it's the fact that actually over time she's got to know me so much better that actually she can see things that I look back on paintings and I'm like wow you got that like if oh. I'm going through a tough time or something even though I put this mask on and I pretend that everything's fine when it's not but and she gets that and and but it's just incredible to like have someone make a portrait of you who is so astute and brilliant at reading people and she gets it and we talk the whole time you know while she's painting me and it's just it's just a dream come true to sort of be immortalized I mean you feel like you're kind of in Alice Neal's studio in the 70s or something yeah you're I know that's what the factory the Andy Warhol yeah. factories yeah. like we yeah. can be part of them conversations that, that psychological approach to painting as well like almost like sitting on a therapist's couch as they paint you because you're both being very vulnerable and you know honest it's a beautiful thing and you, I, I really feel that in her paintings actually totally. I love the one she did of Olivia Lang too oh. I think they're, they're just it, extraordinary I'd love is, to talk to her one day oh my God, is art for you like you were just saying then about having to put on a mask or whatever and for me it works if I'm having a shit day I could I would go to a gallery or I go to a museum and it completely lifts my spirits do you feel like art is therapy for you? Is your friend at times of, you know, need? Totally. Oh, my God. I mean, like art is solace, right? And I'm actually finding as a result of doing this book and writing loads, that I'm actually finding a lot of solace in writing now, which is amazing for the first time ever. But yeah, you know, it's it's totally where I go. Artworks feel like friends of mine. And I'll see an artwork that I saw when I was a teenager. And I'll see it again now. And I'd be like, oh, my God, that's what I thought then. But I've lived a bit more now. And I mean, I remember actually the, the worst time was when I, I think I got, I got dumped by someone when I was 18. And I went to go to the Alan Jones exhibition at the RA. 
<laughs> for anyone who doesn't know Alan Jones, he's kind of like these very kind of like misogynistic, sexist kind of tables of all these women. You sit on women, don't you? Like, <laughs> and I was women like, are folded into chairs men. and you just like, sit on them. So yeah. that really made me really angry. I'm probably the worst experience. <laughs> you know that Lindsay Mendick show you saw the other day? She's, she's made a response to those tables. Yeah. And they're called Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. Because she felt like those tables by Alan Jones were like one of the greatest artworks ever made, in a sense, but just by the wrong person. Yes. And, um, and then the woman who did the sets for Clockwork Orange did her own interpretation of the Alan Jones tables. And it, I just found the whole story of that so fascinating because it is a really provocative powerful artwork but it's so wrong yeah as well. it's like and oh if you've God. just like been broken up with by your first boyfriend you're like absolutely yes. not <laughs> but yeah. yeah I mean like you know I, I used to um the first time I ever took the tube I went to go see Chris Afili's show at Tate Britain like by myself I was in, like took the tube by myself and I remember just being like this is so cool that I can just go to galleries by myself and it's like February half term and I'm 13 and it's like this is awesome and I get to think what I want and no one's going to tell me otherwise or I remember when uh, Christian Marclay's The Clock was showing at White Cube I was in sick form at the time and my school was in central London and I used to go before school and just watch it and it was just because it was open for 24 hours and it's just like you know you do stuff like this that really actually kind of shape you and also I think when you find something by yourself you know my parents although they were encouraging they were never like art history is the path like no my parents like no. cool <laughs> like this is great well you can't you don't see the path I guess it's the same for Rob when he was singing and writing music and me as acting it's like there was nobody in our families that were doing that so there isn't any sort of oh yeah that's the path you can take yeah. whereas you know yourself Katie you're now setting this path out for so many young women that are listening to you that can see this that are getting inspired and invigorated by culture and young men or, and, young, and yes, young of course non-binary people of course <laughs> well every everybody you've got a big I, gay fan base as well the gay oh yeah well, okay. i mean look at her she's an icon <laughs> but it's uh but you you are, it's it's so authentic because it comes from a real genuine passion that is you know leading on now now you have um a guardian newspaper fortnightly column which is uh, highlighting an artwork made by a woman but you relate it to the politics of today of today's news again this is in an incredible communication tool that you've built yourself how, how does it feel to be a, a regular columnist in the, the bloody guardian i mean it's just wild i think what you have to do is just enjoy every single second because you know i i, I just i'm so grateful for everyone who has been sort of part of this but also you know what's amazing about that column is the fact that it's like in the g2 section of the guardian on mon on a monday and actually what's amazing is like oh people might have like been celebrating the lioness's win or they might be thinking about the fact that it's the hottest day on record in the UK and then actually bringing people to an artwork through that that's what mm. I want the power of it to be because I also want to mm. reach people yes you have PhDs in art history of course but people who have never even considered you know an interest in art and I want to say to them no this can really relate to our daily lives and it can have so much power I think I just want to just tell people that they could be part of this subject do you feel like you have no spare time anymore no, I seem to. I so I have a pretty like normal life. I don't. I got quite a lot. I don't know. I just. I, I, I honestly just have. I'm having a really fun time. I just every everything's amazing. I mean, when you just like you're, you're doing your dream job, you're meeting your heroes. It's just and and learning so much and doing something that you feel is valuable is just a real treat. I think something I found really interesting was 
when I saw you a few years ago uh, uh, in, a, in an article about you, it said something like it described you as an art historian. And I remember at the time being like, but she's so young. Like, how can she be an art historian when she's that young? And then I started thinking about it and I was like, but it's so cool that she's an art historian at the beginning of her journey and you you know it's it's almost like you you do a master's or you do a degree and then of course you're an art historian when you come out of that because that's technically what you are mm. but it got me thinking a lot about the current generation of art historians and people like Farron Gibson and like Jennifer Higgy and there's so many different amazing people that, that we look up to but were there art historians that kind of made you want to choose that you know, as a, you know, like some people call themselves an artist, some people call themselves an actor, like you, you chose in a way to be an art historian and all the other stuff I feel like the presenting and all, you know, all the, all the content that you create is all surrounded around that, that, that very serious core of being an art historian. And for me, if you think of like Griselda Pollock or Lucy Lippard or Hayden Harara, who I mentioned earlier, or Nada Shabut, um, who's done amazing um, investigations into like the Arab world in Turkey and Iran. And, and I really respect her, but like, were there people for you that kind of inspired you to specifically think about art history? I mean, I don't really know. I mean, yes, of course. I think they were more like curators, though. And also, I think that I always ah. thought that I could never be a curator because I'd look at people like, you know, Thelma Golden or Francis Morris or, you know, all the Ellen and Nen, like all these amazing figures who have just totally changed so much. But also, I felt, you know, when I was younger, I, I haven't had a, I haven't done a master's. And it's because, well, first of all, you know, it's expensive to do master's and some people can't do them. And it's, and actually, I found, like I said earlier, academia quite difficult. And I think um, in terms of the curator thing, you know, I'd, I'd be really obsessed with people's like biographies and I'd look at everyone's trajectory and be like, OK, so if I if I work at the Tate or if, if I get this job, I have to have done this, this, this. And then I thought, actually, scrap that, like just got to do your own path. And I curated my first show when I was 23, actually, at, an, at the foyer of an advertising agency of Mother in London. And I just thought, like, oh, my God, like life made I've curated an exhibition yeah I, I haven't got a master's this is amazing like how have I done it because actually you don't have to have all these prizes or degrees mm. or anything you can just go out mm. and do your own thing and actually it oftentimes it's kind of well sometimes it's more interesting if someone comes from a completely different background that's why I love yeah, interviewing I writers about you know literary heroes of mine about because they about artists because they come from a completely different perspective but also I you know what I hope with the Instagram or people you know who follow it just being like you know you don't have to have this background but you can you can do it and you know I made an, my first exhibition was about artists who used Instagram as a platform for their career and you know it really worked for 2017 I don't know if it worked for now but it was like and it was in an advertising agency and you know you've, you've also everyone's got to start somewhere and and not be precious about you know the sort of hierarchy of spaces or the elitism or the kind of I don't know you know the art world can just be a bit like that you know judgmental and actually just go for it like if I say to people who are at school like just put on an exhibition of your friends who are doing RAS level or something like that's mm. how everyone starts and actually just by talking to artists and if you're at UCL doing art history you know go talk to the people at the Slade or if you're doing biology and you're interested in artists just go scout out the studios and go to the degree shows like that's what I used to do and it's quite funny in my diaries I also have loads of interviews from artists who I would email and or like I would talk about like going to the Bartlett School of Architecture's like summer show and being like oh my god it's so cool that they're playing Mr Scruff at the <laughs> which is hilarious but anyway just I just think yeah yeah, no, stay enthusiastic, keep looking, stay interested. And, and you also know. do things like in the real world, mm. like yeah. actually, you know, don't be scared. Mm. I, I love. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And actually, I, I said to Russ earlier, like, this book, The Story of Art, is beyond any master's, any PhD. I mean, it's like a tome. You know, it, it is like the story. And it's it's huge. And it's so well-researched, so well-detailed. And like, you know, you don't need to do a master's, babe. You're going to get, like, honorary <laughs> ones very soon. And, because, and it's got incredible I mean, images. I mean, if you're someone, yeah. again, like, you know, and we know it, how feels, is, it feels kind of like, oh, my God, am I going to have to read all this? Well, you don't you can just flick through and see incredible images and then look up these artists and then go and do your own research. And Amount I really like the I quotes think... as well, mm. the yeah. quotes that you selected. Like, you know, you've got Jade talking about painting, you know, Jade Fajatimi. You've got very contemporary voices, but actually the book starts out with a voice from 1649 of Artemisia Gentileschi saying, I'll show you what a woman can do. You know, as the beginning of the whole book, it's just what, what, what inspired these little quotes as well, because I, I find them really illuminating. Well, I think it's like, you know, all of us love to sort of get to the crux of who the artist is and to be able to integrate a book, to pepper it with quotes throughout, just it comes alive. Like even I've got this amazing uh, quote by Rosa Bonheur, who was, you know, a painter in the 19th century France. And and she would dress up in, because uh, trousers were actually illegal um, in France in the sort of 1800s. And uh, as brilliantly pointed out by Charlie Porter in his book, What Artists Wear. And, you know, she had to get a sort of a license from the police. And she, when she wore trousers, because she had to go to this horse fair, which she had to sort of draw in, in a lot of detail and sketch it every hair and movement and everything from the horses she called these trousers her great protectors and I love that it's like it just gives you a bit of an insight into who she was or Lee Krasner saying you know painting is not separate from life it is about you know paint do I want to live and I paint it's like you, you get that sense of urgency or Helen Frankenthaler talking about how she had the landscapes in her arms as she painted and somehow when you and it was my editor I mean I'm so lucky with the team that I've worked with like it's totally a collaborative effort that's why the acknowledgement is about a thousand pages long but but it's and all the people I've interviewed for the podcast and it's about and and lots of their voices are in it as well and it's about getting a sense of what that time was like because I think that's what I find fascinating about history like what was it like to actually live in 1920s Paris or mm. you know everything so you've got another quote on the back by our dear friend of all of ours Tracy Emin that says it's a long way <laughs> before the balance is redressed, but this is a good start. Now, dare I say, have you had any kickback from men? Uh, because this book is the history of art without men. Has there ever been any kind of like, well, hang on a minute, darling. What the, what are you doing? Has there, have, you, have you had any sort of negativity from that direction? I did have a cab driver who was like, 
not you <laughs> again. But it's like, really? <laughs> but people are. Oh my god! But people are really. I don't know. But he knew about you. No, he knew no, no, you're no, doing no. Your job right. It was a very yeah. long cab journey, and we we had we had lots of conversations. But I think you know, of course, there's going to be pushback, and people can think what they want, and that's so totally fine. But I think. I think I can really justify it by saying, I mean, it's a totally tongue-in-cheek title, right? The Story of Art Without Men, very much based on Gombrich's The Story of Art. I love that book, but also I do, you know, it, it could be called The Story of Art Without Women. That's the kind of joke of it. And I also think that when you do things with humour or like a bit of fun, it will actually also, y- you can't, obviously it's a serious thing, but at the same time it gets to people or, or reaches different people. It's a bit like the Gorilla Girls. I think they're so successful because they bring an element of fun with them to art history and you know tearing down the patriarchy it doesn't have to be doom and gloom it can be fun and exciting and you know cheeky and everything and and with you guys even just the way that talk art is or the introductions it's about actually fun as well because these women were trailblazers Mm. they were having so Mm. much fun they broke Mm. down every single barrier i mean literally the fact that we even like have these incredible works remaining when they had to go through so many hurdles and you know is is just remarkable and i think they belong they they deserve to be celebrated and actually the early chapters of your book did make me think like i wish we had Berta Morriso on the podcast Do you know what oh I mean? my it's god like, or i wish like yes. there's so many voices there that you're like they were such so good with Bar- strong baroness elsa von frederick <laughs> Do you know what I mean? How major. But um, it's interesting because um, the book of the week this week in the Times is your book. And uh, Laura Freeman made a really insightful point as well, which I thought was brilliant, saying like a cheers to all the dads who get who like, you know, encourage their daughters back in those, you know, patriarchal oh. times, like historically, who sort of, you know, gave the pens or the crayons or the paints oh, to their daughters and emotional. helped educate them. And I actually thought that was really cool because it's not about, you know, saying men are evil. It was more about like, you know, showing a spirited history and a sense of, of of women and it's all been missing and there is no record of it all in a sense. And now now we've got this, you know. But I, I liked that nod to the dads. I thought that was Yeah, nice. it was like, let's hear it for the dads. Yeah, I loved it. My dad was like, I love it. Um, but <laughs> but it's, it, it is. And actually, you know, all these things are a group effort. Nothing happens, um, you know, by just one person. And I think you've got to acknowledge that and also acknowledge the triumphance of these people as well and and what they did. And I think it's, yeah, it's just like, you know, Helen Sherfeck's, Laura picked up on this, but Helen Sherfeck's dad giving her a pencil and she's saying, when you give a child a pencil, it can change their world. And the power of that, just saying, just it's, it's, it's about instilling agency in people, just encouraging them to do one thing can actually make a difference to their entire lives like having someone believe in you it can be anyone like I have these really amazing uncles and I'm really really close to them and and they have like been my total champions my entire life I have dinner with them the whole time and they're like you can do it Katie and I'm like oh my god like thank you and and to have those kind of people believe in you who are you know from a different generation or something is just so powerful I love the idea of mark making and how every single drawing is a unique thing. Like everyone's hand is their own identity. You know, so every baby that's born on the planet, it's like they've all got the potential. Even Russell Tovey is an amazing Even Russell caricaturist. <laughs> but you, well, it feels like, you know, this agency thing is is amazing and you're you're giving people agency just by doing what you do. But you, you have this kind of, I think it's five-pronged art attack. So we've got the Instagram, we've got the podcast, we've got the book, we've got the curation, but then... Recently, you became a trustee of Charleston, which is uh, the house that Duncan Grant and Vanessa Bell lived in, that is this kind of a complete 
work of art, this house. I am yet to visit there. What? But Are you serious, Russell? Yes, serious. What? But I want you to take me and show me around because I've seen videos online of you doing the tour and I know I know, <laughs> I haven't been. It's, it's sacrilege. Have you been, well, we, we were supposed to, No, but we were supposed to do a tour cart there and I was meant to also interview Maggie Hambling <gasps> there and because of the pandemic, it all got cancelled. Oh, yeah, I was going to talk to Maggie actually about her dad and how important her dad had been in her own artistic development because oh I think he was an artist but anyway we, they, we I think we're actually meant to have been there many times and because of schedules or whatever we've never ended but it's up the most incredible we will now Katie's there yes, yes. Well, you've got to take, take us around well let's do it but it, it, it's an incredible house and I would say everyone go visit even though I haven't but just from hearing about it but I just want to tell this story which I've only discovered recently which has kind of blown my mind and also made me howl with laughter but also feel very troubled is this Duncan Grant Vanessa Bell story and Duncan Grant was lived most of his life as a gay man but they were together and they had a child called Angelica uh, Angelica sorry and they they were married but he was gay but they ca- carried on this creative partnership in Charleston in the house right they lived there together but during his life he had a lover called David Garnett and it was known that him and David Garnett were together. Then him and Vanessa had a child, a daughter. When their daughter was born, David Garnett was like in his, what, 30s, I think. When she was of age, David Garnett and Angelica got married. So, and it wasn't till after she was married that she found out that her husband had been fucking her dad for like a period of history before yes and it was like why did nobody tell me that my husband was fucking my dad before we got married and this story this story blew my mind because if i ever discovered oh my god if i ever discovered that had happened in my life i I don't think i would be able to carry on but not only that she then fell in love with another artist a, a, a russian jewish artist called george berger she fell in love with him had an affair he had also been fucking her dad prior to prior to the fourth day I'm like where's the movie (laughs) give us where's Harry Styles playing oh my god yes 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 Duncan Grant (gasps) let's make it happen did you know these stories I knew yeah I knew some of them yes it's just insanity. The Bloomsbury Group. But, it was but, just I, like, wow. but I love it because it's like, it just, I don't know, just. Exactly. Because, yeah. but, well, first of all, you like go into Charleston and it's just this dream place. It's this farmhouse that hasn't been touched since they lived there in like the 1920s and 30s. And they've covered every single sort of doorknob, like window frame, cupboard, like the the, the lights, the sort of hanging down lights as an upside down colander. You know, it's like they, they sort of really integrated their life and art so much and just everything was a kind of gazamp like a total work of art and when you when you walk the corridors I was actually there this week and actually they've opened up Vanessa Bell's uh, attic studio which is incredible you feel their presence you know you can imagine Virginia Woolf coming over and you think about you look at the lake and you think about all the all the stories or the paintings that this would have inspired and it's that I think my favorite thing ever is and that's what's so amazing about Tracy Emmett doing her you know, building her museum and building everything in Margate, Margate, because you'll get a sense of who she always was. And actually, when you go to someone's house, you feel their spirit and actually something else opens up entirely. And and I think no one can go to the Charleston and not feel their spirit and the energy and this kind of burning desire to paint, but also this very contemporary way, yeah, maybe slightly fucked up way of living, but actually like the queerness and the sort of embracement of that. And the fact that they were like completely at the forefront of 
everything. I mean, it's like the Bloomsbury group, it was a hundred years ago, but it feels like it could be right now. And I think that's what they get so right with the exhibitions like Lisa Brysel's and Ellie Mahoney, because these people, their work connects to it in such an incredible way. They feel like contemporaries mm. of ours. Mm. Is it a national trust building? Anybody can just book and go to this? It's not national trust, but anyone can go. It's absolutely and you just, gorgeous. You just book up online and yeah, then Yeah, just... I think you could also just turn up and get tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's, and, and what does your role as curatorial trustee bring you and how long are you kind of locked into this position? I know, it's, it feels very formal. It's very exciting. Um, It's mm. just a kind of soundboard and advisor for exhibitions and it's just a dream because, you know, we have these meetings and it's like, okay, what makes a Charleston show where we've got these different sort of connotations with it? And it's just so exciting, like filling all these things in and, and working out like what, what you can do in the main space or what you can do in the attic or their new galleries or something. And it's just a dream to be able to, and also my whole thing as always with my curation is always spotlighting artists my age. So I really want to, you know, because I also think that museums can be sometimes a bit precious about, you know, letting younger generations of artists like have their moment. And actually, I think like what was amazing about artists in the 90s in England was the fact that actually people in really high up positions gave those young artists a platform. And because of that, they were so successful and were able to build these incredible legacies and, you know, really pave the way. And that's what I want to do with my generation as well. Well, this is the other pronged attack I'm talking about. You have an annual Great Women Artists residency yes. at Palazzo Monti in Brescia in Italy, yeah. which happens, which again, you were just mentioning artists of your own age, emerging artists, which every year you are inviting these artists to enjoy this residency and giving them this platform. And the artists that you have highlighted here or brought to the attention of many people are, are currently having the most incredible careers that you, you seem to be... Uh, a tastemaker and someone that can really recognize uh, an honest, genuine talent at an early age. That, that's that's a real skill. And I guess that comes from constantly looking at art and looking at art history and knowing in the lineage of, you know, the canon where people sit and who they're referencing and what's missing and what's like being said in a different way. What is that like having this residency? That must feel like the biggest honour and privilege. It's just, it's also just fun. You know, my always criteria is that they have to be a really nice person and then they have to be a really fucking amazing artist. And, you know, it's also the kind of thing that I have a certain taste in art that, yeah, might resonate with a lot of people, but also it doesn't mean that it has to. And also someone else's opinion, you know, doesn't have to reflect mine. And I think when, when you find an artist who you feel this energy with, then that's when the magic happens. And I, it just so happens that I've, I've made these amazing friends with all my residencies and what's really fun is I think there's now like 14 of them and so we all have these dinners every every year at my house uh, which my mum makes mac and cheese for and um, and I also bring the new residents so they like all get to hang out and it's really nice as well because I think in London whereas years ago you know it was cheap to have rent in, and, and studios you know it was easy to live nearby everyone artists are really spread out now and so to be able to give them a space live in this like insane sort of crumbling down palazzo for six weeks um and then they've all became they've all become such good friends and sort of peers of each other and they can be like oh i got this show of an offer like this offer of a show but i'm not whether sure to take it like do you have any advice or oh oh think i'm really struggling with this like can i can i get some advice like that's what it's all about it's like about building these relationships but i mean it's just you know it's just so fun palazzo monti and every year we always have a huge party and we always end up dancing on the tables and we always go to this like really naff club and it's just great and you know artists have become really good friends of mine like flora antonia samaya ella you know all these people 
and Michaela and their, you know, Florianovich and Samaya Critchlow in my book. And, and those of them are also in the timeline at the back. And it's, it's also just about, you know, creating magic. And I also think, I, I think it's so important to reach out to your own communities or your own peers and actually you you can all kind of come up together because also you're they're all born like sort of similar age to me and we have the sort of same references or and it's just fun mm. I think that's the thing you, you want it just to be great and you put on a great show and you have a great celebration we all want to be life. part of the Hessel gang the Hessel, <laughs> oh, the Hessel, Hessel, Rob, Hessel massive Rob, you're gonna be my whole family at the launch I can't wait then you'll be <laughs> then you'll be wait. Robert Hessel seriously I'm, I'm up for this it doesn't sound um, as good Katie. as Russell Hessel <laughs> Oh, you're so competitive, Russell Toby. <laughs> it just doesn't. Um, Go on. So, Katie, in the archaeological dig that was making this book, what was the most surprising discovery? Like the thing that sort of shocked you or surprised you or excited you the most? Because there are just so many different stories. And I find it hard myself to even pick out one thing that I love because I love it all so much. But I wasn't sure if while you were searching it, was there something that really stood out as like a memorable? You know, it's, you know, one of the chapters that I really love is about Black Mountain College. And it was this amazing mm. uh, school that was like super inclusionary. I mean, it was kind of a bit of a follow up from the Bauhaus. Um, and the same people mm. who run the Bauhaus went to go and run it. But the Bauhaus was actually quite exclusionary and hierarchical. And Black Mountain College was, College was just this haven in America. And it was, you know, Annie Alba's was a teacher there. And people like um, Ruth Asawa was a student. And it was just, it was just this place where everyone was sort of build things together and like it would be about integrating life and art and having no sort of hierarchical structures or anything with it and I think it's like looking at those kind of schools that have been slightly sidelined from art history that we don't know about so much and saying this school like made modernity in America it, it was still so relevant you know people would build buildings together and the most incredible people would be teachers that would come in and visiting tutors and also they would give people um you know uh, scholars and artists from who were who were jewish fleeing germany you know positions in america they would save their lives and the power of like an institution to do that is just remarkable and as a result you know they produced people like ruth asawa and ruth asawa's went on to found the ruth asawa schools in san francisco where she said to kids she would she made all these amazing schools in america when she was alive and she'd give people like really sort of simple materials like flour and water or you know really sort of cheap materials and actually instill agency in them and say you know make something and as a result she's this total icon in San Francisco like if you you can't sort of turn a corner in San Francisco without people being like oh my god Ruth Asara and she was on the US postage stamps a few years ago and and it's, and it's these places again I think it's about instilling agency which we, we keep coming back to and actually what that can do for different generations do you know what I mean it's like I just I so, so that kind of thing or like there's this wonderful chapter about the body and it looks at people like Louise Bourgeois and Nikki de Saint-Fal and Eva Hesser and and Alina Shapovnikov and Marina Abramovich and Yoko Ono and these people you know this was the 60s that feminism feminist sort of scholarly language or whatever you want to call it hadn't really been invented yet these people were sort of working out what a sort of feminist language was before it was even coined and just the experimentation of that or like the chapter on fiber arts where I look at someone like Judith Scott who and this this incredible story of this artist who was born with down syndrome and she was a twin and her and she was actually sort of banished from her family and years later her her tw twin who was born without disabilities um 
you know, found her and brought her to creative growth in California. And this is a place where artists who are neurodiverse can just play with fiber or paint or anything. And, you know, she didn't really speak for two years when she went there, but then she had this fiber um, art workshop. And as a result, she just became obsessed with bundling all these bits of thread and, you know, wrapping, wrapping, yeah. And And it's just, and like, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's incredible. And art can come in so many different forms from so many different people, Mm. from different cultures, backgrounds you know any ability and I think that's you know I've got this whole chapter on spiritualism and art in the sort of 19th century and artists using you know mediums to sort of connect to the dead and as a result you know someone like Hilma Raff Clint posthumously had this exhibition in 2018 her first ever exhibition in the US at the Guggenheim and it broke attendance records because people are hungry for these stories it's like you sort of know their sort of male equivalent sometimes but then when you look at them they just completely open up this whole world that you've never even realised or even ex- or even knew existed. That's what art yeah. does yeah. constantly. Yeah. It reveals I, you itself. Know, yeah. the, the chapter you mentioned about the body, that's one of my favourite images <gasps> in the book is the Nikki de Saint-Fal um, exhibition in it. Oh, yeah. Where you see this giant figure, um, you know, wide open legs, like in a gallery space, almost all the way to the ceiling, yes. like completely transforms the space into this this massive giant sculpture. And then you see all the people of the time, you know, 1966, you know, wandering around in all their smart suits and it looks like quite a proper time. And I just love the idea of how provocative and revolutionary these artists are. But at the same time, it's almost disappointing that today, you know, people like, uh, we interviewed Self-Esteem, the singer the other day, and she was talking about how people keep saying to her how radical she is. And she's like, but why is it radical? Because I'm just living my life you know it's like talking about things that happen in my life and it's kind of tragic that it is radical still but it is and it's like you know I just think the the boldness and the bravery to like do these giant installations that end up you know shocking a society at the mm. time it's just brilliant it's, yeah and you're right it's radical that a book like this can be seen as radical mm. it's yeah. like what, hang on a minute that's just the other half you know it's one half 50 percent of the planet <laughs> we're talking about here yeah uh, and you're saying this is a rad this is a radical book you know what i mean I this is really changing things and that's insane so the the final chapter this is obviously the last chapter you wrote and this is what you're basing an exhibition on right now that you're curating how long is that exhibition on what are the works you have in it And what is the last chapter? So the last chapter of the book is called Still Writing the Story of Art. Because, I mean, how can you even... We we can't define the world that we're living in. And also, you know, I also say in this book, this is not a definitive history. You know, this is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the uh, non-male artists who have pioneered the world. I mean, what I really hope with this book is that people will make more books to supplement this. And, you know, I I would also like... I would die to read the equivalent of this for like writers because, you know, like literate literature is something that I would like love to understand, like, you know, the trajectory of and like, who, like you know, the story of people like Virginia Woolf or anyone. Um, but no, still writing the story of art is going to be the exhibition at Victoria Mirror Gallery. It will be up from 8th of September to 1st of October. And it's really looking at the artists who have for me, I think, been defining the last 20 years. So you have artists like Julie Meritu, who for me is just one of the most groundbreaking painters there is. Like, how do you even comprehend the like, like proliferation of images, information, like collage of just everything that happens in this world today? Like the world moves at a billion se- like miles, a, se- a millisecond. And somehow she puts that into two-dimensional form 
Like it's actually insane. She makes these incredible scapes of these kind of map-like forms. And when you can go really close into them and you kind of almost discover these villages or personalities and then you kind of look back and it's like this sort of just like sways and sort of I don't know like just movement swathes of movement of like all these different maps and so for me you know I've got this amazing quote from her she talks about how like the information can be so much that it's like a sort of dust like atmosphere or I've got someone like Sarah Z who kind of does that through sculpture making these kind of laboratory like um, installations where you know she integrates sort of print sticks bits of wire bits of pencils but also like bits of film and I mean how someone's mind can come up with that is extraordinary but then you've also got like the figurative painters of today like Amy Sherald reinventing portraiture for today. Deborah Roberts, reinventing collage, you know, putting her stories right at the forefront of that. People like Samaya Critchlow, you know, again, making these kind of miniatures of these really powerful, bold black women in this, that can almost sort of exude the same energy as a Rubens or something. Flora Yuknovich taking on oil painting. Jane Fadishatimi, Tracy Emin. I mean, where do I even start? You know, just unveiling every truth and everything that we've ever thought of. The kind of the, the depth that I can feel in just sort of one line that she's done is just extraordinary. It makes you just, it hits you in the gut. How did you curate this show? Where did you get the works from? Are they like all loans or do you ask the artists to make work especially? So, or? so it's really nice. I mean, look, I know quite a lot of the artists quite well. So I was like, you know, do you want to be in this? And everyone was really responsive towards it. And I sort of said, you know, I want you to put something in it that you're proud of. You know, it, it can be whatever. Um, and, you know, someone like Celia Poole, it's what's really great about uh, the work that she's putting in is it's this painting and it's Celia Poole came on my podcast a few years ago and I told her about Sophonisba Anguissola who's actually in the book who made this portrait in 1555 uh, called Self-Portrait with Bernardino Campi who was her teacher and so what it at first looks like it looks like her teacher dictating her appearance it's of her teacher painting her but then you look again it's actually her dictating her teacher's appearance dictating her and she's got him like painting the embellishment of the jacket which was something that a sort of apprentice would normally do and Celia Poole wanted to take that over she wanted to take charge of the teacher and the artist or the muse and the artist or something and she made a painting inspired by that so she's put that that painting in it and then we've just Mm. it's just been a dream it's also you know practicalities as well obviously um but it's just it's it's amazing to be able to bring the book alive and to also see all these artists in a space who are really defining what art is today (laughs) amazing how are you finding the book junkets? Because you're going on, you're you're touring up and down the country. You're being interviewed by amazing people. Russell Tovey, Robert um, Diamond. <laughs> yes, exactly. But and also, there's lots of live events. You're obviously doing signings and stuff. I mean, how are you finding that energy-wise? And what what is your food and drink that keeps you going through that? <laughs> well, the psychic on uh, Monday, Robert, was like, you have to have protein. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Moment. What a Margate psychic. Yes. Yeah, so basically Tracy organised for us to meet the Psychic Sisters. It was amazing. I did oh, tell I'm you, obsessed. Russ, because they gave me loads of um, good advice, actually really good career advice. Yeah, so we, yeah, we, we all did it. Tracy very generously organised it, and it was actually hilariously and, sorry, hilariously fun, wasn't it? And like kind of odd, but kind of brilliant. It was amazing, literally. So you've got to have more protein in your <laughs> yes, diet. Yes, I've got to have more protein. And that will fuel you through your, your press yes. junket. <laughs> Okay. But it's just, but it's just yeah, exactly. But um, it's just it's it's like a total dream, you know. This might be the only book I ever write, or I think I think be. you've just got to enjoy every second of this. And I I think it's so 
I, I just feel so appreciative of the people who are like taking time out of their, their day to come and like hear me speak and then buy the book. And, you know, books cost money and it's really nice of people to actually do that and believe in the subject. And I think that it's just mm. such a, a treat and pleasure to meet people. And I just, I can't wait. It's just so nice. I feel like we haven't seen the, it, it, we're scratching oh the surface God, it, of what it, Katie it Hessel has to offer. <laughs> You are an empire. You are <laughs> you are a dynasty. Also, we we need more we need more art writing. We need more art programs. And I remember when we started talk art, so many people said to us, like, why are you doing that? Like no one's gonna want to hear that. And I think still to this day, like a lot of TV channels, a lot of production companies, all these things, that they just don't really have much vision for how much art does change people's lives and how captivating these stories are. And that's why I was thrilled when you started your podcast, because it's like, we need more people doing stuff. More content. And, you know, Farron Gibson's mm. books lately have just been brilliant. And like, there, there's so many people who are starting to do more and more and more. It just needs to be encouraged. Um, I think so. I, so, yeah, if you're listening to this as well, thinking you want to do it, just do yeah. it, please. And also, you know, start an Instagram account, start a podcast, start a, put on an exhibition wherever you, you can, because also it's about experience and building communities and also it's the kind of thing well if the bbc aren't going to want me to do this then i'll do it myself i mean doing podcasts is literally like playing radio it's amazing and everyone's also got to start somewhere and yeah it might take years it might take decades but you've just got to be consistent and persevere and it can be amazing consistency is the thing i think that's what it is and and you have you have a consistent message you do but you i always quote it because beyonce told (gasps) scissor The consistency. Oh, the just keep keep doing your thing. Love that. Maybe I'm requoting Beyonce oh, to Scissor. I love it. You are. I love it. We're just like Beyonce, I love guys. Scissor. Just find find oh, yeah, you find her. your thing and be consistent with it, whatever that be. And I feel like you are absolutely staying consistent to your passion for art, and that is incredibly inspiring. So we're going to go into the classic talk art questions at the end now, Katie. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, you can have any work of art in the world for yourself. What would it be and why? Well, I was wondering, and I know people have slightly cheated this before, so I'm going to ask, could I actually take the Met and fill it with women, non-male artists? Yes. Yeah, I think so, well, yeah. Well, where why, does the art go? I, it, it, no, it troubled me because I was like, well, where's all the other art that's in there going to go? I'm going to take all the men out. Babes, to- they're storage. They, they can stopped. go to storage just like okay. all, the, all the non-male artists have been in. <laughs> No, you're uh, right. You can, can totally. You can absolutely. Yeah, I didn't you. mean to pause. I, I think I had a <laughs> moment of like, this, what the logistics <laughs> of that? I literally had a panic of like the logistics of trying to get everything. Well, you're organising no, it, so. it, Katie. I'm, I am. That's what I mean. This. That's why I, I panic because I'm organising it. <laughs> I've got a talk art magic checkbook here, and I'm going to write magic that check. talk art checkbook. And you're the co-signatory on it. You're the co-signatory oh God, on it, Katie. Perfect. Is it permanently like this? Is it permanently like this, Katie, or is this for an exhibition? What do you want it? How long do you want this to be the case? Well, oh gosh, I haven't thought about that. Yes, let's have a giant exhibition. But also my big thing is also not having just these impermanent exhibitions. It's also museums building their collections. So, you know, in the future when someone, it's the fact that like with Artemisia Gentileschi, the National Gallery have just 1% women artists in their collection. And yes, we had an amazing Artemisia Gentileschi exhibition a few years ago, but only a few people got to see that. People aren't going to be able to see that in 20 years' time. And so it's about building that, that those collections and making sure all these artworks by all these different people in society are on view. Because if you're not seeing, you know, if you're not seeing balanced representation, then you're not seeing society. And also then you're not going to feel mm. like you can be involved in this conversation. The most important thing is, is that you can be. And no matter, also, it doesn't matter, like, I, I include, like, quilt makers, weavers, sculptors, everything in this book. I think it's so important to do that. 
And then, yeah, yeah we can just take I over the Met. I love the fact that your, your art heist <laughs> is like as big as the Met. It's like, let's go global, no baby. I love it, babe. Yeah, you're just going global. The three of us can be we the directors. Perfect. Um, <laughs> it would carnage. fall apart. Can oh you my imagine? God, that'd be so exciting. Let's just do podcasts in a foyer. Yeah, why don't we? And then we're going to. Our heist could be actually all the people. We're going to do book signings. We're going to take over the shop and do book signings just all day long. I love how our, 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 our art heist could actually be the, the people at the top and actually replace it with us. Oh my God. So, Katie, um, what is your favorite color? Oh, God. Okay, so I change every second of the day, but I thought because I've got my book, I, th- I love the red in the story of art. And so I'm going to say that because I'm feeling red today, excited. What sort of red is that? Life sort of force like, kind of, like, of art. It's slightly orangey, I think. I mean, it's certainly not my favourite colour. It's just how I'm feeling right now. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> no. It is an orangey red, love, love. It is an orangey What red. is the best advice you've had? Now, I, I'm going to ask you for two things, if I can. Best advice when it comes to your art, like for your career when it comes to art and also the best advice you've had when writing a book. I told you about my uncles who I love so much and they said, always invent something. Mm. Always like, always like, always like make something your own. Does that make sense? Yeah, it like, does, yeah, but like what? Create, well, like, it's like, well, well, Russell's whatever you, is in your, in your heart, heart, my darling. No, but invent something that's not been before or, or, in, or create. <laughs> this is terrible, terrible advice. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> no, invent I, I want something. To, I, Russell, <laughs> Russell's being very tricky today. I might, no, no, no. I, I'm loving I this. Early, I'm loving he's it. He's the man who are giving me the kickback. New York. <laughs> <laughs> We're the men that are saying absolutely not. No, what not I want to know. I want to know like, what in, invent. Invent something for yourself. So like whether it's like an artwork or whether it's like a Instagram blog or something, like do something that is like, what's, I don't know, what's like USP? I don't know. Yeah, like, like contribute, contribute something, something, but like, like also, something. I guess. Create your own yeah, reality. If that makes sense. God, maybe that's that terrible. That does make sense. It does. Thank you. No, I love it. It makes sense to me. When it, I love your uncles. Oh my God, they'll, 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 them. Yeah, they my God, great. love them so much. And when it comes to writing your book, you must have had a lot of advice along the way from publishers and from other <laughs> fellow writers. And... Write proper sentences. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. My, I've got this amazing editor called Helen Confort, who's just a dream and I feel so lucky. And she said, again, God, it's actually the same kind of thing, but it was like, use your voice and like say your opinion. And actually, it, 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 that sounds like such a simple thing to, to, to say. But actually, I think I, I was so scared about writing this. I was so scared about getting things right. And then I just, when she said this to me, I was like, actually, I'll just say what I think. You know, because that is also the power of art. Like there is no right or wrong answer to anything. It's about, and like, it's like, I want to get Russell Tovey's point of view. I want to get Robert Diamond's point of view. And it's like, when I read someone's book, I don't care if you're like a Oxford academic or like a carpenter who's never been to university. It's like, I want to hear your voice and your opinion. That's why I'm reading you. Like, don't make it generic. Like, I, w- I want to hear you. Yeah, and it's a shared conversation, yeah. isn't it? It's like, it, that that opens up the, the dialogue between all of us and then you find the commonalities between all of us. It can bring people exactly. together. I think that, that advice was a breakthrough for us as well when we were writing our book because we suddenly felt the pressure of art history yeah. and oh having my to cover God. the whole canon. And, and they said, no, that's all been written already. Yeah. Just write what you want to write. It's like, but how can, I, how can I write about art if I don't reference all that? He said, well, you can touch on it, but you just do what you do now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then giving, that, giving you that permission to kind of acknowledge it but forget about it um, to a certain extent is is really freeing. Yeah, and that's why people mm. want to read you or they want to listen to you. And like, I love when I read your guy's book, I was reading it in your voice in my head, if that sounds really creepy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to know that it's you behind the page because books can be friends, you know. 
Anyway. Mm. Well, you're our friend. Um, also, <laughs> big, big, big um, shout out to, to you because I know that you did all the picture research oh, because God. I actually helped approve one of the images in the I book. I had lovely so people helping I, me. I, I know but you, yes, I did quite a lot I of it. I know you did, but honestly, you did oversee it all and it is such hard work doing that. And it, I've sold so many images. How many got are about 350. Book? I've sold both my kidneys say, for some images. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah sure, this might yeah. be the only it's book I write. It, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think people realize mm. how much money it costs to make a book and how much money you you don't get back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone so thinks you've written book. a book, you, must re- you can retire. <laughs> exactly. You have to. The thing is, all, your heart and soul and all of your money goes into it because pitch, just getting picture approvals, there's a company called DAX, which look after the image rights and the copyrights and the licensing for so many artworks. And the money goes back to the artist, obviously, and goes back to, you know, the photographer of the artwork, blah, 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 blah. It costs a lot of money. So you think publishers, yeah. when they first start out, are making money on their books. There's no money to be made. It is a total no. passion project. And this book but for you the is great a thing about the great thing about DAX is that artists get yeah. paid for their images That's being used. Said, and yeah. if you think about, yeah, yeah. No, I know. But what I mean is if you think about every day in the old days, if a newspaper put something in it, maybe the artist wouldn't have got the money. And I think that that, that whole copyright you know, structure that they've set up there, just reporting a bit like PRS with mm. music, is such a brilliant thing it for is artists. Brilliant. It can become a whole income stream. Yeah. It's like, it's a fantastic But as a writer, you have to have uh, about 17 other jobs. As a writer, it's hard. (laughs) Exactly. So please, everybody, get this book uh, by Katie, which is uh, out now, I guess. uh, And how can people find you? You're on Instagram. I am on Instagram, yeah. At the Great Women Artist. At the Great Women Artist, and then at Hessel, And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, And also TikTok. Oh, my God, I joined TikTok. When? When did you join TikTok? Russell's banned me from TikTok. Hasn't <gasps> Robert, I'm going to come to Margate and we'll do some TikToks. Okay, I'm going to start Perfect. with you. Rob, I think TikTok for you it's would my... just be your unravelling. Yeah, but, I'm but, sorry. But, but, guys, what's amazing about so TikTok is this amazing movement called BookTok. And it's incredible. Honestly, it's opened my eyes. It's the biggest selling tool in publishing. There's an article in the New York Times that came out this morning about it. And basically, it's like all these like 14-year-old girls who are doing these TikToks about books. And, and authors have sold like hundreds of thousands of copies of books. But what's amazing, I went to BookTok Festival in Waterstones the other day. And it was honestly like... Just I heartwarming to see all these teenagers just obsessed with books. It was so amazing. Oh. Anyway, so, and so this is you, you have to join TikTok to do book. But you talk. just like talk about books on TikTok, and then you just do hashtag book talk. God, I probably sound like an absolute dinosaur for people who are actually involved in book talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we're the dinosaurs. <laughs> like, yeah, this like twenty-year-old girl. <laughs> Oh, well, that's my, maybe, Rob, we better do book talk. That sounds incredible. We'll, we'll all get on it. I just text Russell and said, I did tell you. <laughs> and he and he never now. listens to me. He, no, but I think it's hard for Russell because he's an actor and he has to be seen as the role. So it's a tricky dynamic. Whereas me, I'm not an actor. Right, you're, join, you're joining can, TikTok then. I can go on TikTok and do like dance moves. Around a book. <laughs> around the book. Around a book. Let's go to all of our favorite bookshops, oh, Rob. God. I can't wait. Russell, you'll just oh. have to miss out. Oh, what I, you I can't really hear the, 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 the fear of all the listeners. They're like, just stick no, to podcasts, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here we go. Anyway, thank you so much, Katie. This has just been so enthusiastic <laughs> and fantastic yes. and oh, full of guys, joy. Guys, thank you so much. Um, we we, love I love you. you. And congratulations. Thank yeah, you so truly much, congratulations. On your PhD of your book, which is more than oh, any master's. Nice. Um, yes. We, no, we guys congratulations on your continuing world art domination. Well, you guys it's, too. Uh, you are yeah, such an inspiration to everyone, to honestly. And it's just, it's just wonderful. And thank you so much for having me on. It's you actually said we were, we were referenced in the bibliography yeah. or something. I was like, really? Yeah. That's I read, I, of course. Very cool. Absolutely. Babe. 
Thank you. Well, everyone listening, go to Talk Art on Instagram. Buy the book. Support art. Get out there. Art's for everyone. Uh, That's the mantra that we all pedal out there continuously. Art is for everyone. It is for you. Get out there. Enjoy it. Get agency and live an art life. Love it. Love it. Art life. Art life. We'll be back very soon. Thanks, Thanks Katie. for Thank listening. You. Thank, Thank you, you, Katie. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com